You're listening to the Astro Backyard Podcast. Capture the night sky. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Astro Backyard Podcast. Yes, we are still here, um, but under clouded skies most of the time right now. Um, Happy New Year. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, joining me. Oh, who am I? I? I'm Steve from Ontario Telescope and Accessories. And with me, as always is trevor jones from astrobackyard.com how's it going everybody happy new year trevor how are you it's been a while it has been a while i feel like we've talked but we just didn't record anything yeah let's not bring that up again please <laughs> <laughs> it said it was on yeah <laughs> what else do you want speaking of which can you confirm that we are recording right now well the program says that it's recording the file size is increasing and I do see okay. a file in, in the directory that it's going up so those are all good signs those are all good signs I don't know what else I can do other than to stop recording and listen to it but then it kind of defeats the purpose of our, our recording and right now somebody's probably rolling their eyes thinking all right guys let's get to the stuff okay let's do that then. let's do that then okay so this is what we talked about last time that didn't get recorded even though it said it was recording we were talking about filter wheels because Trevor you just got one. And I know I was I was curious when you were going to get one, and mm-hmm. uh, I know other people were mentioning it as well because you were just taking your camera, putting in a filter onto the reducer, putting it into the telescope, and then yeah. do your work, and then pull out the camera manually. And yeah, be- yeah, because of all that extra work, I'd end up just sticking to one filter for an entire night because when you have a good thing going, you often you don't want to change it. So I would. I would end up just collecting in one filter per night kind of thing, but yeah. not anymore. There's some advantages to that too, but it's almost like walking to school uphill both ways. And yeah, I was doing things harder than I had to. Yeah, um, but it, there, there's some um, advantages to a filter wheel, absolutely, and, and um, some things you have to keep in mind. But, you know, so that's what we're going to talk about today, filter wheels and um, what they're used for. And primarily, nine times out of ten, you're going to use it for astrophotography. Yeah, I guess you could do visual, but I I don't know if that would really work very well when I start to think about it. Um, but so we'll just say it's just for astrophotography. Uh, so what I, I've heard for people using for visual is that they're just testing out different nebula filters and stuff through the eyepiece and just to see the different the subtle differences when they when they use the different filters. So yeah, I don't I, know. I would just think you need some kind of custom adapter though to put a diagonal on or. Yeah, I guess I think they exist. Some people just like to have nifty gadgets. Yep. MacGyver. So, yeah. Duct tape it. Sure. That works. So, yeah. So, but we're just going to talk about astrophotography purposes for, for now. And, um, you know, they're mainly used for, you know, taking your filters and uh, changing them for your for your camera. Commonly LRGB imaging, which is uh, luminant red, green, blue filters. Uh, yep. Narrow band, most common ones being uh, O3. Um, hydrogen alpha and uh, sulfur 2 s2 um, you know I, I i have known some people to do hydrogen beta as well right that's more in the blue region um if, through traditional colors i guess if you want to think of it that way um mm-hmm. but there's some scientific applications as well and some scientific uh um bands of filters mm-hmm. there's also some scientific filter wheels well they'll have multiple uh filters I've seen as high as 40. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's for crazy. very, very specific applications. I guess right. if you want to get to like very, very narrow bands, of mm-hmm. like wavelengths, you would you would need that. But I'm sure those filters 
you know, probably cost more than the scopes that we have combined, Trevor. Yeah, uh, they're they're probably what two like two or three nanometers, just separating the 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 spectrum into forty parts. Yeah, that's pretty crazy, eh? Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. You need a filter wheel for that, that's for sure. Yes. So there, it's used for imaging. Um, so we're going to talk about that and and uh, um, what you can do with the do with the filters and and so on. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about LRGB, which is probably the most basic um, of imaging. Uh, that's broadband imaging because you, mm-hmm. you're not looking at a specific uh, spectral of the light. You're looking at a, a larger area, so the red, green, and blue. So if you look at a filter chart, mm-hmm. well, if you look at a filter, the manufacturer will produce a chart of how much light gets through for that particular filter and at what yeah. wavelength. So the RGBs are usually very wide because they're going to get a large range of all those reds, green, and blues. And then you have the L, which is an IR cut filter, which mm-hmm. should encompass the entire filter range of the RGB together. Right. So you'll see commonly on a on a graph uh, the three filters and then a, a darker shaded area around it, and that's usually the L filter. Uh, so it's an IR cut or luminance. Here's a pro tip. Trevor, do you want to tell them about the luminance filter? What, you adding it as a, like a, a layer for on top? Well, no, the position. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I forgot this. It's, it's critical that the L filter is in the one position of your filter wheel, or it will, I think it's, it will just instantly cloud over if yeah. it's not set in that position. It's a bad omen. You don't want to. You don't you don't want to put the L filter in another another spot. No, and I wasn't aware of that until Steve warned me. So, sure enough, my L filter is in the one slot. And, and do you have clouds? Well, I do anyway. But yeah, okay. some... <laughs> <laughs> it's January in Canada, so yeah, so it's it's normal. Yeah, yeah. totally yep. normal. Nothing we could have done. Actually, it's supposed to be clear tomorrow night, eh? And minus thirty. I Not say, complaining. I I'm say, just saying I say, things have a way of, of not working in that temperature. I, I said clear. Like, what else do you want? Man, yeah. We're in Canada. Right? You put on a light jacket and go out and enjoy. I know. If I don't like it, I can just move. It, you just did move. <laughs> yeah, not very far. Not far enough. No, no, no. I guess not. Um, so, getting back to filter wheels, you know, there's two common types there's going to well really two types there's going to be the manual filter wheel where you've got your filters loaded up and you'll manually select which one you want um and there's some advantages to that uh and then there's the the motorized filter wheel which has well like the name says it has a little motor in it and there's different ways of of controlling that uh, carousel that's inside, but it will index your filters to a different position uh, that you tell it to to be in. And this is really good when you want to automate your setup as well. You can uh, use your software, tell tell the software which uh, filter to use, and uh, it'll go to that position automatically and and start taking your images. And then once it's done. The number of exposures that you want. If you still have enough time throughout the night, you can tell it to go to the next one and continue on. So it's a really cool setup. Um, I have actually we both have the same filter wheel now, uh, Trevor. Mm-hmm. I have a Zagel filter wheel, 
Uh, you've got a couple. You've got the two inch now, right? Yep, the five position two inch. And the inch and a quarter, I believe. And the inch and a quarter, yep, which I have not touched yet, but the I'll, I'll try out the two inch first. Yeah, I have, I have the 36 millimeter uh, one myself, the seven position. Yep. And they, they are really cool filter wheels. They're made in Canada. They're all metal. But what I like about these wheels in particular is that they're super thin. They're only 19 millimeters or 0.7 inches. Um, and that's important uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, it's it's nice and compact. Um, mm-hmm. With this particular wheel, there's no protruding parts, so it's just 19 millimeters for the entire form factor. Um, but what's it's important to have a thin filter wheel because you typically need to uh, work out your backspacing. So you know, in case of of imaging with a reducer. Mm-hmm. A typical reducer will have a 55 millimeter back focus, and then so you, that what that means is you need to work from the last element of glass to the sensor it has to be 55 millimeters. Right. The camera is automatically going to have some space in there. Typically, you know, ZWO can be six and a half or 17.5 if you use the the spacer or not. Uh, QHY is 17.5. 17.5 is a standard. Uh, back um, distance from the edge of the camera to the sensor. Yep, I was just looking at that stat on the uh, the Mead uh, D Sky Imager today. Oh, right. That you was got, it. Yep, seventeen and a half. Yeah, you got one of those cameras now too. Yeah, and you then need to make up the difference. So if you take fifty five and you subtract seventeen point five, that means you need to make up thirty seven point five millimeters. I heard you punching into the calculator. I, I, I did this so pretty <laughs> fast because if it was any other way, we'd st- I'd still be thinking about it. No, um, me too. And so knowing that we have 37.5 millimeters, we take the spacing of our filter wheel, um, popped it in there as well. Can you hear me hitting the keys? No, I didn't actually that time. Okay, good. Um, so that gives us 18.5 millimeters. So we need to make up 18.5 millimeters in additional spacers. I'd rather have to make up more spacers than mm-hmm. have then um because they usually have more combinations they can deal with right and you know 18 and a half is pretty good rule of thumb you know plus or minus a millimeter so half a millimeter is not bad i just have to make up 18 millimeters so i'd use a three millimeter and a and a 15 and i'd be good uh from there so that's why you want to try to have as thin a wheel as possible. And really, I think 19 millimeters is as thin as you could go practically, because you have um, the height of the filters inside that you have to be you have to contend with as well. So I was no one was more guilty of of having the incorrect spacing between the camera and the flattener than me. And uh, so Steve recently sorted me out with uh, a bunch of adapters. So I, I'm ready for any situation, any spacing situation needed, along with the um, the suggestion of getting one of those. What was what's that exact measuring device that I that you told me to get? It's a caliper. The caliper, yeah. So, yeah. See, I'm a very handy guy. I have all these tools. So I got one of those for Christmas. So uh, yeah, when it you want to make sure that you've got the absolute best spacing possible, right? You don't want to take away from your image because of something. That you uh, something avoidable, such as having you know five millimeters off. Yeah, and, and you'll see the the issue with spacing will show up typically in the corners of your image, where yeah. your stars will start to uh, seem elongated. There was a chart that I saw, um, and I can't remember 
the the directions right now but depending on the way your stars are pointing it'll tell you if you have too much spacing or not enough hmm. so i gotta look that's that up. Cool. i gotta look that up and I'll, I'll send it over to you and you know we'll share it um on the facebook page but um you know let's get back to wheels yeah uh where else can you use a wheel planetary imaging you know typically rgb again um a lot of filter wheels will have what's called planetary mode and what that means is it will get to position as fast as possible. That might mean that the filter is not properly centered, but for planetary mode, it might not be such a big deal because your um, your sensor is typically smaller and it, the filter doesn't have to be perfectly centered yeah. as long as it's not in, like halfway through, so it's blocking the sensor. Yeah. So... That's planetary mode, and if you're doing any type of planetary imaging uh, with a mono camera, then you'll need a filter wheel. Uh, so, you, uh, especially with a, a planet like Jupiter, which has a very high uh, rate of rotation, you want to get your images as quick as you can. So that's where it, a filter wheel for planetary planetary imaging would come in handy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, everything we talked about so far was. Our LRGB or RGB uh, narrow band is another use of a filter wheel, and you know you'd have your o, your standards, your O3, your hydrogen alpha, and your S2 filter, and then you can and then with that you can combine them into different types of palettes depending on the the image that you're going for, right? Or the sorry, the object that you're going for for mm-hmm. your image because they might not all have the same signal or any signal that you'd have to pick up with a particular filter. Yeah, the, the narrow band imaging is so powerful if you're in heavy light pollution like Steve and I because you're really cutting out all the wavelengths that you don't want to capture. So you can get those dramatic images using, say, the Hubble palette uh, in heavy light pollution. So that's why a lot of backyard imagers in the city do a lot of narrow band work, myself included. Yeah, I, all my stuff is narrow band. Um, I have a, a major warehouse uh, within five kilometers of where I where I live, and it, my sky has gotten dramatically worse because of it, because of the outdoor lighting that they have. Yeah. And with narrow band, it's awesome. It, yeah, it's like it's it doesn't even affect it. Doesn't even affect it. Doesn't even affect it. Especially yeah. you get into hydrogen alpha. There's so much that you can do with hydrogen alpha. It's just absolutely just amazing. Yeah, I'm a big fan of creating. Uh, doing the best I can with my color data and then uh, boosting details using the, the extra added boost of uh, the narrow band, especially the HA, as you mentioned. Yeah, well, that's where we can get into some really cool stuff, right? And you were doing this originally with a DSLR with... Um, HARGB. HARGB, right there. Yeah, and, um, and just adding the HA as a luminance layer yep. and, and a synthetic red channel. It was like a dramatic pop to any emission nebula. Yeah, you know, talking about different channels... Right, uh, there's a few different palettes that you can use uh, as well uh, for like to assign colors to narrowband images. Because when using a mono camera and, and all the all the narrowband imaging, you really should use a mono camera. Although you can use color, as Trevor has demonstrated in the past. Um, you want to assign the different uh, data sets to different channels. That Trevor, as you mentioned. So what what would how would we go about doing that? Like what would be some good channels or palettes so, to, to use? Right, uh, one that gets used often is to do 
uh, the SHO, which is the Hubble Hubble palette, and that is mapping HA to green, O3 to blue, and S2 to red. A lot of people go for that one. Um, someone that comes to mind that does a lot of great work that I see sharing image, images constantly is Chuck's astrophotography. Yes. And I know, I think he's in Detroit, so he's in light pollution. And he's creating these Hubble-looking images with his modest equipment. So that's a great example of, of that palette there. Uh, and then there's the HOO, which you don't see as much. Um, but yeah, basically it's a matter of mapping the monochrome data that you've, that you've acquired to a color channel in the, uh, in my case, in Photoshop, in the channels um, dialog. But I know there's ways, there's scripts in Pixinsight to do it as well. Uh, the, yeah, there, there are. And, uh, or you can do it manually with the various modules that are in there. And there's also another module in Pixinsight called Pixel Math where you can take your your data sets um, and combine them and put a bit of an algorithm to it. And I've, I've played with that a little bit. I, I like the results I've gotten uh, yep. where, you know, something might not seem as intense in red and it kind of, in the red region and brings out a little bit more of a, I can't even really explain it. It's just, to me, it was very pleasing with what you mm -hmm. can do with it. It's such a powerful module um, to... Uh, to to play with uh, that's then, that's pix insight for you right yep you run some of those scripts that have been developed and tweaked over time and uh they end up they end up working so well it doesn't really matter exactly what's going on in the back end for it to work but <laughs> some of them work pretty amazing yeah very powerful program um and and, and there's other ones out there too so what was it astral pix processor yeah yeah um i and... haven't used it myself but that seems to be uh that, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that replace replaces a lot of people that are using um, Deep Sky Stacker. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. So there's a, there's a lot of lot of options out there, and they'll all have their own way of doing it. But the end result is to take your like Trevor, as you said, the individual data sets and assigning it to a color channel, um, and combining them so that you get, uh, well, it'd be a synthetic color image at that point, right? Yep. And so to tie it back to filter wheels, so I really didn't, because I was changing up the filters manually, I would never end up creating these complete images using each narrowband filter because, you know, you do want, waiting for clear skies, you end up getting da data in two of the narrowband sets and, and missing one. Whereas with the filter wheel and software like Astrophotography Tool, on a single night, I could make sure I get even if it was just 30 minutes through each narrowband filter, I could create a false color image uh, with each color channel. So that subtle difference is the power of having a filter wheel because now I can do a, collect a full set in a single night. So I think I'd rather do that where I actually collect a bit of each channel every imaging session rather than spending a full night on one. But we'll see how that goes. Yeah, well, I'm excited to see the work that you that you uh, are going to do now with with your filter wheel. Um, I know you've been talking about getting one for a while. And you've mm -hmm. had the filters, so it's now a matter of just putting it all to action once we get a clear sky. Yeah, and that's with the um, the Mead Deep Sky Imager Four Mono. So it's got that Panasonic 1600 sensor, the uh, very popular sensor in the uh, ASI 1600 NM. 
So just incredible work being done with that camera. So I'm excited to see what this, this it's it's still a new camera, eh? The Mead one, it just came out, what, six months ago? If that. Yeah, I know there's yeah. not a whole lot being published about it, so I'm excited to share some information about it. Yeah, it looks nice. It's a beefy camera too, eh? It's hefty. I was actually, you know, kind of writing about it today, and it's very, it's a very nice design. Like, compared to some of the ones I've seen, it's just got that nice mead blue rim around it, and they actually spent some time really designing a nice-looking camera. I think so. I think so. So, um, so that's filter wheels and why you'd want to use one. And, uh, like I said, I enjoy mine. So, I, you know... If you don't have one, I would I would suggest taking a look at it if you have a mono camera and you want to make life a little bit easier for yourself. Uh, you know, I don't think there's a wheel out there in the market for astronomy purposes where there isn't a driver for ASCOM support or indie support right now. So they'll work with any uh, astronomy program that you have, whether it be Sequence Generator Pro or uh, Astrophotography Tool, uh, Maxim DL. Uh, it's a matter of just putting the uh, filter wheel in, loading up the drivers, doing some configuration, and you know, take your images. Yeah, great point. That was a pretty painless experience getting that filter wheel set up through Astrophotography Tool. So if it's any, if if it goes as smooth as it is for me with APT, if it's like that for any of the other software, then uh, yeah, it's really really easy. You know what we forgot to mention about filters and filter wheels? What? Focusing. Oh yeah. So not all filters are parfocal, and even if the manufacturer says that they're parfocal, they're not parfocal. Um, well, nine times out of ten they're parfocal, but I've always found that I've had to to refocus after a filter wheel change. But they're it, very close. They're very close, but it, it's still a good idea to to make that make that change, especially I find on the RGB. For sure. Uh, because it's a different wavelength of light. I just find I'm always having to refocus after every filter change on it with RGB. Um, some programs will have that capability built into it. I know Sequence Generator Pro, whenever you do a filter change, it will automatically, or you have to tell it anyways, to automatically do a uh, focus routine. Mm -hmm. So it's something to keep in mind that if you, your data might not come out as good as you were hoping if uh you if you change your filter and you're not in focus because of it so something to uh to consider yeah that's where a motorized focuser is uh, a huge help yes right like I've, i'll be using the filter wheel on my uh, ed102 with the pegasus astro stepper motor kit on it so i'll just be making those fine adjustments to make sure that i'm uh, as, as in, in focus as possible as i Go through each filter. Cool. So, you got any uh, special targets you want to go after this? Uh, you know what I, I'm really thinking about going after, which is ambitious to go from the city, but uh, M78 Reflection Nebula in Orion. Ooh, yeah. That's... I just, I just love that one. So, yeah. I'm, I, w I would love to get the Leo Triplet this year. Hmm. Very nice. Yes, I've. Three three very different galaxies. I think we we've talked about this one before. We have, yeah. That's it's such a the hamburger galaxy is so cool. Yep, it's my favorite one in there. Yeah, I, I 
I would definitely want to do that. Um, we're a little low where we are, but I've always wanted to... This is a really nice narrowband object. Um, Thor's helmet. Yes. I've never done it myself either. It, it It's just so low. Yeah, right? that's right, probably why. Right in Aries. Um, so maybe there's a road trip in our future. Be yep. worth it. The trip to uh, to photograph Thor's helmet. Yep. You have to go south. Yep. Where it's warm. Yeah, like way south. Way south. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds good right about now. It's, yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to complain about the weather, but the snow is... I'm getting a little tired of shoveling. Oh, I'm complaining. Yeah. I'm complaining. This is as bad as it gets for, for us right now. We still have another month of February to go through, too. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. Wait till we start complaining then. No, I won't. And I won't complain about the heat in the summer, I promise. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. Anyways, everybody, thank you for listening. Oh, oh, hey, Trevor, I got a joke. Oh, God, okay. Okay, why does a moon rock taste better than an earth rock? Why? It's a little meteor. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Clear skies, everyone. Clear skies, everybody. Clear skies, everybody.